So, uh, as Brandon said, I'm Ron Weir. For those of you who I have not had a chance to meet yet, I would love to be able to do so. Uh, at the end of the service, if you're so inclined, come up, say hello, and I just feel like there's so many new faces every week that uh, I'm constantly saying, have we met? Sometimes it's because I'm a little more forgetful than I wish I was, but come up and say hello if you get a chance. Um, I am, in addition to having this blessed opportunity to serve the church as an elder, one of our elders, I've been a part of the church for over 20 years. So um, that's the other nuance, probably one of the older faces around here these days. But my wife Cheryl and I have been married for 26 years, 27 this October. And I think based on that, Brandon thought, well, gee whiz, maybe he's a credible guy to put up there and talk about marriage. Um, it's been uh, a real blessing, this church, over all those years, such an important part of our life, both you know, from a relational standpoint, almost like our second family standpoint, but then also just you know, raising our kids here and, and you know, being encouraged in the Word for so many years. Um, it's been a real blessing to us. So what I'm going to talk to you this morning about is this topic that you see on the screen called Logs on the Fire. And I just want to encourage you all, have no fear. I'm not here talking about your romance or your love life. My daughters were really glad to hear that. I wouldn't be talking about any tips from, for the bedroom up here this morning. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that it was about a month ago that Brandon asked me to share. And in the last 30 days or so leading up to this morning, my wife and I have had this wonderful opportunity to argue over the most ridiculous things on multiple occasions since that time of being asked. And we were close a few times at taking the enemy's bait. Isn't it interesting how the enemy is at work all the time? Uh, so let's all be aware of this fact that he is at work, he's on the prowl, and let's not give in to his bait and his temptation. Sound like a good plan? Before we get started with the message this morning, though, I'd like to do something a little off the marriage series script for a minute, and I'd like to ask a question. How many single people are here in the service this morning? Just a show of hands. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for coming this morning. So here's my next question. How many of you single people who just raised your hand have been to more than one of our previous weeks of this marriage series that we're working through right now? Look at all those hands. Well, I just want to say that is so impressive, and thank you for your commitment to our church and our community. Even though it could have perhaps been really easy to decide that this series isn't all that relevant to you. I feel like God has put something on my heart for each of you single people here this morning that I'd like to share that I, I hope will be encouraging to you. In Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now, I know there's probably some women in the world that would disagree with this, but I really believe that's for mankind in general. I think if God had created woman first, he would have said, hmm, Eve, not good all by yourself. I need to create Adam to complete you. Now you guys are good. So I think this, you know, this idea that God thinks it's not good for man to be alone, that he or she would be better off with a helper, I think that's part of God's design. However, Paul, inspired by God, as, as was everything that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 and 8, said, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So which is it? Which is better? Being single, I am quite sure, for all of you folks who raised your hand, isn't always seem like it's the better option, right? Cheryl and I have two amazing single ladies in our community group, and I know they would both just love to be able to find that person who they can marry and spend the rest of their life with together. For others of you, perhaps you are able to embrace Paul's perspective here and live that much more for God and for serving others and doing his work that he's leading you to daily. If so, you're certainly much more free and available to do this as a single person, right? Like Paul was. These same two ladies I just mentioned who are part of our community group, this is how they live their lives. Always offering to help others. Always reaching out and asking others if they need help and, and being willing to serve others and make themselves available to others. So neither is right or wrong. The key is what is God putting on your heart and are you trusting him wholly with this? My prayer this morning that I would like to begin with before we start into the sermon this morning on logs on the fire is for all our single people here today. So let's bow our heads and pray for each of you right now and please all the rest of you married folks join with me on their behalf as we pray. Lord God, we come before you humbly this morning on behalf of all these before you who are presently single and we lift them up we entrust them to your care, your love, your perfect provision. Please, dear Lord, give them peace beyond understanding, the ability to more fully entrust their singleness or their future marriedness to you. Give them a clarity and a passion for their future, Lord God, and help them to believe in you for your perfect provision. Lord God, if in fact you've called them to singleness, I pray that you would give them a, just a sense of energy, a sense of passion, a sense of excitement for what comes next, what's before them, that you can use them for in your work, in your kingdom building, Lord God. Please use them in a mighty and powerful and impactful way. For those you are calling to marriage, help them peacefully rest in you and not be trying to make this happen in their own power. Help them not to want this more than they want you and more of you. Please, dear Lord, bring into their life the perfect person to complete them and who they can serve and love and share their life with together with you. For all these dear and cherished people who are such an important and vital part of our church community, we leave their lives in your hands and we ask that you would make yourself known to them in a more personal way in a more powerful way than they have ever experienced before. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So, this morning I'd like to share with you about keeping your marriage relationship strong and healthy, close and alive and connected. I learned many years ago at my first weekend to remember that Cheryl and I attended five months after we were married, it was a wedding gift, that oneness is what God intends for marriage. But the enemy in the world often lead our relationships almost naturally in the opposite direction into something called isolation. I have on the screen for you a link to the Family Life website, Weekend to Remember. You probably can't see it that great, but it's familylife.com forward slash weekend to remember. And I cannot recommend this enough that you would consider attending one of these Weekend to Remembers. You go to this site, they'll have all the information there, all the sites and the dates. Uh, consider taking a weekend away and traveling to a destination you know, away from New England, really making a special, almost a little mini vacation out of it. Or there's plenty of sites here in New England, including Newport and Boston, several in New Hampshire and other, other places locally. I cannot uh, recommend it enough. We've been to literally about six of these over the years, and it's, it's really, really been a blessing to our marriage. So this morning, I plan to share with you five logs, figuratively speaking, of course, that we can all be regularly and proactively throwing onto our proverbial fires of our marriage relationships, all with the hope and the desire for cultivating and maintaining this, this oneness of life, this closeness and connectedness within our marriages. Genesis 2, verse 24, verse we're all very familiar with, particularly when you're seeing uh, some new folks get married, is often something that gets read during the course of a, of a marriage service. This reason, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, we don't hear a lot about oneness in marriage these days. We live in a world where doing your own thing and being your own person is encouraged and applauded, and while we don't give up our individuality in marriage, becoming one is part of God's plan for a husband and wife. So what exactly does God's word tell us about this idea of oneness? Well, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he also created marriage. For those of you taking notes, you can take a look at uh, Genesis 2, 18 through 25. His creation was perfect, his plan for marriage was also perfect. And there in Genesis 2.24, as we just read, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Everything was perfect. But as Brandon has so uh, consistently reminded us, then came sin. And God's perfect creation and plan for marriage was marred by man for all time. And you can read Genesis 3 if you're taking notes again. Check out Genesis 3 and how this all sort of plays out. But while marriage has been difficult and imperfect ever since that first act of disobedience toward God, his plan for marriage remains perfect and will always be perfect. How do we know? Well, one reason is that Jesus himself in Matthew uh, 19 through uh, verses 4 through 6, he himself references back to Genesis 2.24 when he's talking about divorce with the Pharisees. And he says, haven't you read 
that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Not only did Jesus reference back to Genesis 2.24 and this, this, this primary scripture that we're looking at right now, but so did Paul in Ephesians 5. He taught that the, God's original plan for marriage is still in effect here as he's preaching during the early church. Even though it's often distorted by us, it's still God's ideal and what we should strive for. So this passage, three different times, Genesis 2.24 itself, again in Matthew by Jesus and then in Ephesians by Paul being referenced. I think God is trying to make a point that this is really important. Oneness is vital to a godly marriage. So what does it mean exactly for us to be one as a married couple? Being one does not mean that we have to think exactly alike, always agree on everything, like the same styles, music, TV shows, food, and so on. God made us different in so many ways we are, after all, created male and female. We're different. That was God's design as well and his intention as well. But being one as husband and wife means to be unified and committed to one another. The Hebrew word for oneness means to be united, unified together when action is taken, and a one-time thing. So oneness leaves room for there to be diversity within that unity. We can be different. Again, this is the way God created us to be, but yet still unified. So it's in working with each other in spite of our differences that God teaches us to live out what Paul describes in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 when he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This passage is at the beginning of that same chapter where Paul references Genesis 2, 24. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for this idea of oneness means to be one flesh, as one body. It's similar to the idea you often hear used for the church that we are one or unified as a body, working together for one goal, for the good of Christ and for each other, yet we're different as different parts of the body are different, right? So what can we be doing to be adding logs to the fire of our oneness? What different kinds of regular connection can help us to discover and maintain a real sense of this oneness in our marriage? Now I think you're going to find it a little surprising as to what these five logs that we're going to talk about this morning are. None of them, as I mentioned earlier, is incense or romantic music or anything like that. Okay, Some of those could be useful sometimes as well, but today... We're going to be talking about a little bit of different, different kind of things that can help us to achieve that oneness and maintain it, okay? And these are the very things that will either help us get that fire burning even better or, unfortunately, if not, cause it to get snuffed out completely. So let's look at log number one. I'm calling it leading within your marriage. And there's going to be four sort of aspects of this and what this looks like within marriage to lead within your marriage. And the first, and I think foremost, that I'd like to talk about is this idea of rejecting passivity. And I'm referencing Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, I'm not sharing this scripture this morning just to pick on you guys that are with us this morning, but here's the reality, guys. Ever since Adam, we've been struggling with the plague of passivity. Let's be honest, guys. Our wives are often very capable, very competent, and if we just lay back long enough, they will usually do what we didn't feel like doing. Am I right? So, uh, it's, it, here's the worst thing about it, okay? This is even worse than, than us just laying back and not doing anything. Half the time, we know that what is right, we know what is wrong. We may even instinctively have a sense of what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to say, but what do we do? Nothing. I call this the passive amoeba syndrome. And unfortunately, a lot of men today struggle from this. But ladies, not to leave you out, even though it was Adam who from the very beginning gave, among other sins, this sin of passivity to mankind, I hate to break it to you, but you too are part of mankind. Now, you don't necessarily realize this same struggle in the same way, but maybe in some different ways. You struggle with passivity as well. Some might call it passive-aggressive. <laughs> Ever hear of that? Seriously, we are called to lead within our marriage relationships, and foundationally, this means rejecting passivity. Talking about things, initiating conversation, maybe being the one to lead the process towards counseling, towards reconciliation and forgiveness, towards attending church, talking more as a couple, making time for each other, helping each other, asking each other for something that you feel needs to change in your relationship, and so on and so on. If we allow passivity to subtly creep into our relationships, and that's exactly how this happens, everybody, we find ourselves many years later into a long-term relationship living as if we aren't married at all. Can you say isolation? I think it's fair to say that a couple cannot cultivate and maintain true oneness if they are persistently passive in their different ways. Make sense? So the second aspect that I'd like to describe here of this, this idea of leading within marriage is accepting responsibility. And in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Now, while this may seem a close relative of passivity, it's quite a bit different. Jesus clearly saw his sole purpose for his life as sacrificially living for and serving his father. Imagine with me two spouses in a marriage with a similar sense of responsibility, clear focus to sacrificially serving God, sacrificially serving each other. As mutual leaders playing different roles as helpmates to each other in our marriage relationships, what a difference it would make if we accepted responsibility more willingly, more timely, more graciously. Instead, too many of us unfortunately think it's a competition or a contest. Who's done more, or what did I do last, or what has the other person done or not done, right? As if we're tallying up things all the time and keeping count. Bad approach, the wrong approach. 
I once heard someone say that a great marriage has two spouses who always feel 110% responsible and are living and leading within their marriages with this clear sense of responsibility, regardless of what your other spouse is doing at any particular point in time, right? I'm not going to say a whole lot more on this. I hope what I'm talking about here is self-evident. It's one of these things that's simple to understand, very difficult to live out though, isn't it? I personally believe this is one of these things we're gonna answer to God for. I can, I, can, I can almost hear him saying, so let me get this straight. Why did you not think this was your responsibility again? Let's live in our marriages like there's no more important responsibility almost, right? I have this relationship and I have this potential for impact on another human being like no other human being and the extended impact that I could have as a result of this on my children, my family, my community, my church, and beyond. I mean, strong societies are built on strong families, mutually serving each other and fulfilling their responsibilities to each other. So, challenge this morning on this accepting responsibility, let's step it up, everyone. This stuff really matters to God, and it's our responsibility to steward this most beautiful part of God's design called marriage. The third aspect of this leading within marriage that I like to talk about is this idea of leading courageously. And in Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now Jesus is ultimately the one all of us should be following after and living lives that are modeled after how he lived his life. But beyond this, how many of you fully appreciate the idea that role models are hugely important in life? I just, in the back of the church, I found Bob Treichler and I said, I'm gonna mention the idea of role models this morning. I want you to know what an important role model you've been to me as a man of God, as an incredible husband and father for so many years and to so many other men in our church. And he, and he just was like, wow, I really appreciate that. And he kind of was trying to receive that as it's often hard to receive something like that. Role models are hugely important. And we have to all remember that people are watching us. Now again, this is not why we do something or we don't do something. But we also cannot ignore the power of our witness to our spouses, our children, again, family, friends, and beyond. And sometimes this takes a lot of courage. We, we may not be up to it physically, emotionally, mentally, or whatever, but when we look at what Jesus endured for us, we can press on to service, to, I'm sorry, to serve him and to serve our spouses. Even in the midst of great difficulty from time to time that we may be going through. And we must. And at the end of the day, we know that we're victors in life, in the end, right? We can live victoriously day to day in our marriages and in our families. Now we could turn this into a whole other sermon on victorious living, but for today, let me just say, we must be characterized by a life of prayer, seeking him for strength. Because without that strength that we absolutely need, how do we lead courageously through all that life throws us? I mean, this world, let's face it, it's just more often than not depressing, unhappy, and even scary. The people that God has put into our life, regardless of all of it, 
regardless of what we're dealing with in our family and our marriage right now. They're depending on us. We may, in fact, be God's provision for them, right? We need to find the power and the grace to be able to do this. We cannot shrink. If we do, make no mistake about it, there will be casualties. There will be consequences beyond just ourselves. Think of the difference a solid marriage and family can make and take that baton and keep running this race by leading courageously within your families. Now my fi final comment on this idea of leading courageously, and this goes out to wives and to husbands, this is not a power trip kind of leadership here. This is servant leadership. Leadership that's filled with love, with grace, with humility. There's no place for pride or anger or being demanding or rude or forceful. If our spouses are not in unity with us, sorry guys, pray. Ask God to bring unity. Keep talking, keep listening. I can personally tell you from my own experience, 26 years of being married, that God is still at work by his spirit today. People say, oh, you guys have such a great marriage. I say, trust me, it's by the grace of God. My parents were divorced, her parents were divorced. We were a train wreck waiting to happen. We had no right to get married as early as we did. God's grace came into our life early, and we have clinged to it often. And it's the only reason that we've been able to love each other the way that we have. Ask him for all that you need to lead courageously, and I believe he will more than willingly make this available to you. The fourth and final aspect of this idea of leading within our marriages is investing eternally. And in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, how many of you believe that when you individually treasure most what God treasures, that in all likelihood, you will in the process begin to value your spouse and your marriage as genuine treasure? I do. I, I personally believe that. And I don't always do that, but, but when I do, boy, I, I really value my spouse that much more, my family, my marriage. How many of you believe that true fullness and joy and a sense of meaning and purpose are never gonna be derived or experienced in any kind of real or permanent way from worldly possessions or success as defined by the world, et cetera, right? The things that are really eternal, truly eternal and lasting, things of legacy and purpose and meaning, from my experience, they're almost always, more than anything else, our relationships, other people that God has put into our life. So let us be couples and families that are investing eternally. As we do this, we put ourselves in the right place with God and with our spouses. And perhaps we're like iron sharpening iron as well, helping each other to grow spiritually and care more about these many eternally important things as opposed to the many worldly things that seem to instead capture our attention all too often. Here are a few specific thoughts on this to make it a little more real. Conflict resolution. Do it quickly. My kids asked me on my 50th birthday, what are the 50 most wise 
things that you've learned over your lifetime? And I thought, wow, what a great question. I don't know if I can answer that on the spot. So I've been writing them down. I'm going to write them all on a list and give them all to them and when I can think about it better. But I said, number one, conflict, resolve it quickly. I know way too many people that would rather stuff it in their back pocket and hold on to it for 20 years, right? So resolve it quickly, but also respect the fact, like I've had to learn with my own spouse, because we're different, that sometimes if they're built different, your spouse might need a little cooling off time, right? Don't force the issue. Give them some time to cool off, but don't let it go days, okay? Um, be careful not to be prideful in the course of these conversations where you're supposed to be resolving conflict, because that's only going to make it worse. Be humble. Be willing to extend, again, quickly, grace and forgiveness. Don't harbor resentment, like I said, and hold on to this, okay, and, and, and really kind of hold on to this, this resentment and anger towards your spouse, obviously going to lead to something other than oneness. How about intimacy? What is your purpose for sexual intimacy with your spouse? Serving your spouse or serving yourself? That's one worthy of reflecting on, okay? Deeper conversations. How about this? Allow yourselves to dream together. Make this a priority. Make time for this. Talk about it, right? How about relationship and engagement with the local church? Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, Let us not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you're pouring out and investing into others as a couple, you can't help but get better in your own relationship and your own graciousness and love towards each other. Help support and encourage your spouse's spiritual formation. How about this one? Pray together, right? Like one of those things, oh yeah, sure, we, we're gonna pray together more. Oh, we used to pray together and I loved it. We're gonna do that again. And then it just, it just, we just can't get it going for whatever reason, right? For those of you who have not read the book Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, I highly recommend this book. Um, he, he just so poignantly explains how our marriages are like this amazing laboratory of discipleship and growth that God has designed to help us become more like him. So that was log number one, leading within our marriage. Let's jump over to log number two, which we're calling Pay Attention. And this is a passage from Song of Solomon, verse seven, I'm sorry, chapter seven, verses one and two. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Now I gotta tell you, I am actually really good at noticing my wife's beauty, much to her chagrin sometimes but I have never said words like that to her. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's good. <laughs> Dang. But in all seriousness, no, while, while noticing our spouse's beauty for us guys, usually it's a little easier. If you're not doing this, guys, this is like 101. Come on. But seriously, let's not just notice their physical beauty. I mean, God gives us this unique privilege as spouses within the context of our very special intimate relationship with our spouse that nobody else can see. We can see things that nobody else can see if we're paying attention, right? That's the key, if we're paying attention. So here's a question for you. What else does this look like besides paying attention to physical beauty within our marriage relationships? Well, 
I'm not sure if you know this, but again, if you're paying attention, you can easily learn all kinds of things about your spouse, what they like, what they dislike. So here's for us, like a little, you know, slower learner guys in the room, like myself, pay attention when your wife says, I love this. This is so cute. Or I really hate this kind of thing. Listen to what she's talking about during a movie or when she's reading a magazine. And take notes. I mean this literally. Take notes if you're going to put it on your phone even. Capture ideas that pop into your head while the ideas are there because you know what, guys? If you're like me, they don't stay there long. What else does this look like? Well, in general, it's looking out for and paying attention for the positive. It's not rocket science, right? Calling out the positive. What is the rule of thumb? Three or four affirmations for every one criticism, I think it is. Well, you know, I, I say, no, let's change that. Ten affirmations to one criticism, or ten to zero is even better, but we're going to be a little realistic. But what are we taking notice of? Well, take notice of your spouse's gifts. Yes, their beauty, but their character, their fruits of the Spirit, the love and kindness that they exude, their sense of humor, their wisdom and discernment, whatever it is that you can be open and alert and aware of noticing and calling out, do it. It will be such a blessing to your spouse. It will help them feel more valuable, more special. It'll increase their confidence. It'll also increase their appreciation and fondness for you. Now, this is, again, never something that's the right reason for paying attention to our spouse. But here's a little news flash for you. The natural outgrowth of a spouse who pays attention is a spouse who pays attention. I trust you get the point. Isn't it interesting that this one here, again, it's just so common sense, but yet it's so stinking hard, especially in a long-term marriage relationship. And there's all kinds of reasons why. I get it. I've been married, again, 26 years. I get it. But guess what? None of those reasons is a good, a good enough excuse. When God, again, perhaps asks us one day, hey, why didn't you pay attention to this beautiful gift that I gave you? I made it just for you. Why didn't you pay attention more? He has personally given us our spouse as one of his greatest gifts. How much more could we be doing to value that gift? Care for him or her. Just plain pay attention, right? If we're honest, we all too often pay attention in these ways to our children and to others more than we do our own spouses. What's up with that? Okay, so that's, that's the second log, uh, pay attention. The third log on the fire is be creative. And here it's Song of Solomon, uh, again, chapter 7, 11 through 13. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh, my beloved. I want to remind each of you how important date nights and day trips and vacations can be. Don't always do these things with other couples. Make time for just the two of you. And sometimes make the sacrifice to give up something else that you've planned or something else that you've got in the budget so that perhaps you can find the money or the time that you wouldn't have otherwise had to be able to do this. Remember, sacrificial love, sacrificial service to each other. 
Show your spouse how much you value this and how much you value them. Devotion time, Bible reading, praying together, again, so important and useful at fostering those deep, even spiritual connections and communication between the two of you. Again, be creative on behalf of each other. For those of you with young children, I cannot stress enough how important it was when our kids were young that we had our regular, what we, what we called couch time, during which the kids were not allowed to interrupt. I remember we had read this great book early on and, and ultimately we taught our kids one of the principles that our relationship with God and our relationship with each other as spouses was primary and they were secondary. And you know, they became extensions of our family that we obviously valued and loved so much and we were so blessed like they were to have them. But we would often tell our kids, mom comes first, dad comes first. They knew and we knew how much we valued each other. Be sure during your time alone together, whether it be away on vacation or on a date night or just at home around the house, you know, talk with each other like deeply. Truly talk to each other. Ask each other thoughtful, thought-provoking questions. Really listen to each other. I know I shouldn't have to mention this, but I'm constantly being reminded of this by my own wife. Put your phones away when you're sitting together, just the two of you. Right? This, I mean, the phone is just such a nasty habit for us. How about on your anniversary? Talk about be creative. Do something extra special every year on your anniversary. Take turns. You know, you, you do it one year, let your spouse do it the next year. Make it a really big deal with your spouse and your kids. I mean, really and truly, there should be few, if any, dates that are more worthy of celebrating than when you received fully and finally God's gift of your spouse. Log number four, be disciplined. This one sounds a lot of fun, I know, but it's important. Be disciplined. And this passage from Mark, also telling the story of when Jesus referenced back to that Genesis 2.24 passage, uh, Mark 10, verses 6 through 8, Jesus said, uh, God made them male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. His Here's the reality, and it sounds simple, but it's the truth. The greatest enemy of keeping our marriage fires and our oneness burning is just plain laziness. Call it what it is, right? We must constantly guard against downshifting into the status quo of our busy and distracted lives and in our burnout, tune out. If you're in a place where that fire is gone, where the whole room just seems dark and cold, Remember that as Christians, we are covenant people. We have committed ourselves to one another. Remembering this, we confess, we repent, we seek forgiveness from our spouse, and we begin to figure out how to get that flame going again. As Connie and Brandon, I thought, shared so beautifully and so transparently last week, marriage counseling can be a huge help. But even at a more basic level, ask each other tough but helpful questions. Can I suggest a few? How about this one? Just sounds kind of simple, but if you just sit there and listen to each other, give each other a chance to respond. How can our marriage get stronger? How can I love you and serve you more effectively? What is it that makes you feel loved, valued, desired? I'll tell you this, Solomon and his queen worked hard at their marriage. Time passed, the years added wrinkles and pounds, 
but they still complimented each other. They still flirted with each other. They still pursued each other. They were intentional. You cannot just be lazy and expect your marriage, your relationship, your, your, your romance, and this, this idea of oneness to blossom and burn. You just can't expect it. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. So let's talk about the fifth log on the fire. Pursue, delight, and truly know each other. Song of Solomon 8, verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. I read that at first. I was like, that's weird, man. But let's roll with it. If I found you outside, I would kiss you. I like that one. And none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Here's a hard truth, everyone. It is not optional for a husband and wife to find joy in each other. It's not optional. I realize this just doesn't come easy or naturally to a lot of us, but part of working hard and learning our spouse is finding joy in him or her. And because our spouses are made in the image and likeness of God and are perfect, his perfect gift to us, and because they're equipped with their own strengths and talents, and especially because we made a commitment to them to love them in good times and in bad, there are ways to delight in them. And this begins with pursuing them, truly knowing them, seeking to bless them, wanting God's best for them, doing all we can personally to bring God's best into their life. Now, Verbalizing to yourself, or worse yet, to your spouse, or others, even worse, any dissatisfaction that you may have with your spouse, well, this is the mortal enemy to our being able to delight and find joy in our spouse. Guard yourself against such idle talk, self-talk or otherwise. Why? Well, first off, because if he or she were really looking, I guarantee you it would be pretty easy for them to find a few things they could be dissatisfied with you about. But more importantly, dissatisfaction just comes way too easily. And it's even easier to justify to yourself. But according to God's grace in the gospel, we ought to be proactively fighting against our dissatisfaction. Working harder at what the theologian John Piper calls the duty of delight. Look hard into your spouse. There is beauty there. Charm and wonder. You can find delight, maybe even that original delight from the early days, only if you will look hard enough through the lens of grace. Now in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 that we just read, we're reading about a couple that has traveled through a long and successful marriage together, who in their older years are still so connected and actively in pursuit of each other I mean, they've done life for a long time together, and this is, while it may read a little strange to us today, it's truly depicting something amazingly beautiful. These two are showing us what it means to be one. One flesh, one mind, one body, one spirit, the way God intended it. 
Now, nobody said relationships of any kind were going to be easy, especially not marriage. But God calls us to oneness and to keeping our fires burning bright and strong. This takes two people committed in covenant to leading, paying attention, being creative, being disciplined, and pursuing and delighting in each other. And the reward is great for those of us who happen to be so blessed by God's grace to find our way to a godly spouse and to being able to cultivate and maintain a marriage of genuine oneness with this other human being that we get to call our husband or our wife. So I want to conclude with this uh, scripture that Brandon has been sort of setting out for us as sort of this overarching scripture over this entire series, which is pulled from the message translation, Matthew 19, verses 11 and 12. Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. Do it. 30-plus couples came out on Wednesday night here at the church, having completed their own personalized deep love assessment and committing to being a part of a marriage small group for the next four weeks, all in the hopes of helping them deepen their love for each other, improve their marriage, and do just this, grow into the largeness of marriage. Now, if you haven't signed up, please know that it's not too late. We would love to have to make more room. And if you choose to do this for the next three weeks with us on Wednesday evening, we make the Deep Love Assessment Tool available to you at no cost. And I personally can tell you, I am finding the assessment, the first week of our small group conversation that happened, as well as the teaching from Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott to be incredibly eye-opening and really helpful. Now, Cheryl and I have a great marriage, but we also know we can grow more and we can have an even better marriage. All of us can, right? So I really would like to encourage you to talk about this and do whatever you possibly can to join with us in this work and discovery and time of growing together. If you have some more questions uh, on all the particulars, you can stop by the Connections desk uh, on your way out of church this morning. Uh, but I think what I'd like to do at this point is invite the worship team back up, and we're going to conclude in, in some prayer uh, and be able to send you on your way in this beautiful weather today.